developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is Wendy Rosen. Wendy's really an amazing person and you'll quickly see her power, passion and influencing abilities. Today we're going to talk about vision-related learning problems. Many of you may not have ever heard of this, it's a lesser known type of disability that can truly impact and affect a child's learning their capacity, their behavior, and their health. And it's so appropriate that we have this conversation right in the middle of August, which is Vision and Learning Month, celebrating kids. Are they ready to go back to school? You know, the kids are already shopping for their clothes and and their school supplies, but have they checked the number one issue and the, the most dominant sense for learning, their vision? So before we get started, discussing this, I want to share a little bit about uh, Wendy. She's got this huge resume and comes about learning from vision from a totally different perspective. Wendy has a master's in education and she's a certified elementary and early childhood teacher who also holds a dual degree in art, which I think is really great. She's taught preschool through high school students in schools and in a variety of experiential educational frameworks. Her creativity has allowed her to bring in nature into learning, um, classes at the beach and forests, lakes, streams, farms, and camps. She uses all of those types of places for her classrooms. Currently, Wendy works as an education consultant specializing in vision-related learning problems. She facilitates professional development workshops and lectures um, widely on this subject. In 2020, Wendy joined Pacific University faculty as an adjunct um, instructor, where she teaches a course about the connection between functional learning or functional vision and learning. I got to know Wendy because of some of the books, especially the book, The Hidden Link Between Vision and Learning, Why Millions of Learning Disabled Children Are Mis- diagnosed. So we're going to talk about that book. Uh, Wendy is married and the proud mother of two amazing children. And in her spare time, she likes to read, garden, spend time in nature and cook. So welcome, Wendy, to uh, Vision Beyond Sight podcast. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you. Oh, it's great. Thank you. So let's just jump right into this. Mm Who's affected by these hidden vision problems? 
more children than you would think. The statistics are uh, actually that one in four children are walking around with a hidden vision problem that is likely going undetected. So it's really, we're, we're talking about a silent epidemic that has been going on for decades, right beneath our feet without, uh, without us knowing uh, for want, want of this information. Right. So, you know, I've been in this field for over 45 years and we still have this question. Why is it just so hidden still? I mean, why aren't kids being evaluated and discovered more consistently? So that's a really, that's a really wonderful question. Um, and, and one that led me to doing this work, actually, which is, uh, as I learned about this and, and that glaring statistic of one in four children dealing with this, which is obviously such a common condition, why don't we know about this? And the first explanation is that vision problems are inherently difficult to recognize, given that they are most often hidden. When a child exhibits a speech problem, we can hear it but we have no way of knowing what the world looks like to a child. And they typically don't question what they're seeing. It's really unusual for a child to articulate how they see and what they see and what the world looks like to them, let alone describe any symptoms that may offer clues about why they are having these difficulties. And I think that this is rooted in a misunderstanding of what vision actually is. So we typically think of vision as 2020, some some reading of 2020 or, or a variation of that. But that's actually just a fraction of what vision actually is. There's a difference between eyesight and vision, and this is not widely known, and it needs to become com- common knowledge. The difference is that eyesight is the physiological ability to receive input through the eyes, but vision is the ability to understand what that input is, and vision actually happens in the brain. Vision actually occurs through our whole body, and we we don't know this, and this very important information in terms of how it affects a child's learning and behavior is missing from the pool of knowledge that educators acquire when they go out into the classroom to teach. So that's that's one reason is that we just don't understand what vision is and we don't have a mechanism in place to adequately assess children for their visual abilities, especially entering prior to entering school. And then the second reason, I'm sorry? No, go ahead. The second reason that this subject is uh, not widely known about is that there's a lack of readily available tools out there for parents and teachers and pediatricians, child development specialists, anybody who works with a child to to use to understand what vision actually is. So you're really talking about, and this is where a lot of the misunderstanding comes from. People think the school screenings of putting the chart and doing a 2020 screening is, they even call it an eye test. And 
the important piece is many of these kids passed the 2020 eye chart, both at the pediatricians and at schools, and then nobody looks any further to see if they have a vision problem. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, that, that's absolutely correct uh, in terms of what I'm referring to. And so the Snellen eye chart, that is the chart with the big E at the top that we see in pediatricians' offices and in school nurses' office, offices, this screening tool only identifies 5% of vision problems in children, a very minuscule fraction of a child's visual story. And the crazy thing is, this chart, the Snellen chart, which was, which was invented by a Dutch ophthalmologist uh, back in 1862, was created to measure the distance vision of soldiers in the Civil War to make sure that they could hit a target. And this is the, the tool that we're using to, to examine our children's vision over 150 years later, despite everything we have learned about the visual system since that time. This is still the primary go-to method. So we are, our, our knowledge has grown exponentially over decades, and there's research out there to, to support all this, but we have not kept up with this knowledge and implemented the changes and the systemic mechanisms that we need in order to make sure that we are comprehensively examining a child's vision and understanding the whole story. Yeah, it's pretty shocking uh, how archaic our system, when we do have better technology and know-how. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But one of the things I really would like you to share, Wendy, is you're not an eye doctor, and you learn the hard way by having your own family member present with vision problems that, you know, weren't necessarily detected. Can you share that story with, with our audience? Oh, I'd be happy to. Yes, I learned about this as a parent, actually. I, I am a teacher. I um, had taught uh, elementary school for, for many years, but I learned about this subject as a parent when my daughter started to exhibit symptoms of stress and strain in school when she was very young, when she was in second grade. And we saw her, her, uh, her skills regressing. In other words, she entered school writing. She, she kind of taught herself how to write. She was, she was always interested in learning. She was always engaged. She was, uh, she was reading. And between kindergarten and second grade, we saw a decline, which is not the way it's supposed to go. And it was very, very frustrating and painful to watch because she was becoming so stressed about school and she didn't like school anymore and we didn't understand what was happening. I, as her mom, could not really be objective about what might be going on because I'm her mom, even though I'm a teacher. Uh, you know, there's, it's very hard to be objective about your own child. So we um, went through the child study team evaluation process to try to figure out what might be going on for her. And it turned out that she uh, had, had deficits in her in, in her writing, which, and that essentially she was writing as a first grader in, by this point, by this point, it was third grade that she was, that she was evaluated. We had gone from through second grade, which was a really hard year. And then third grade got worse. And that's when we entered this process. 
And so she was two grade levels below where she needed to be with both her um, written expression and handwriting. And so the child study team wasn't able to offer us any explanation, only that she was qualifying for a classification, which, of course, we agreed to because we wanted to bring her whatever she needed. Uh, but we walked away still really curious and clueless about what was going on about uh, behind behind these uh, these struggles. And so we we followed up privately with a, a psychologist just to get another opinion, a second opinion about her evaluation. And we were lucky because the psychologist that we worked with happened to be aware of vision-related learning problems. And she saw the scores from her evaluation and certain patterns that connected the dots for her. And she thought that we should see a behavioral optometrist to have Sarah's vision evaluated. I had never heard of a behavioral optometrist. Right. Can you explain from your perspective what that meant? Because you hadn't heard about it and, you know, your doctor didn't tell you to do that. So, you know, how did you find a developmental or behavioral optometrist? Exactly. So it was through this psychologist who had this knowledge. And so because she saw the uh, the big picture here and, and was able to see a pattern between her scores and these other indicators, said, you know, I think that there's something visual going on and I would recommend that you have her evaluated by a behavioral optometrist. And my next question was, well, what's a behavioral optometrist? I had, I had never heard of this. And so she explained right. to me that a behavioral optometrist or a developmental optometrist, as uh, these uh, terms are interchangeable for this kind of doctor, is an optometrist who has had extensive postdoc education about visual and perceptual problems that can impact learning and behavior in children. So off we went, and we were blown away by the results of her evaluation. And the, the initial exam showed that Sarah had convergence insufficiency. And immediately we had a, a, an answer as to what was, what was happening for her and an explanation as to uh, why she was struggling. But they recommended a follow-up battery of, of uh, assessments, which we, which we went through, and she wound up uh, exhibiting deficits in other areas as well, including focus accommodation and uh, uh, eye-hand coordination, which was really the causal factor of the, the writing deficit. So we had our answers, and Sarah went through vision therapy for nine months and was completely rehabilitated. She went on to thrive in school. She was declassified. And I always get emotional when I talk about this. I cannot imagine her life had we not stumbled onto this knowledge. And so I was uh, very inspired by watching this process unfold and started to do research because as a teacher, I was astounded that I had never learned about this. Why didn't I know about this? I could think of, you know, probably lots of, kids who came through my classroom door who were struggling this, with this, and, and, and I didn't know. How, how could we not know this is such a, uh, a huge and widespread problem? And so when I, when I came upon that statistic of, of one in four children 
something changed in me and I just felt like I I set out on a mission because I wanted to shout about this knowledge from the rooftops to everyone because this information for us was life-changing. We were very lucky in that we happened to work with a, with a psychologist who knew about this. I thought every psychologist knew about this, and I later learned that that's not the case, which right. made me realize how <laughs> incredibly lucky we were. And, and I felt that this did not come down to luck for a child to, to be diagnosed correctly. And that's what changed the course of my career and uh, why I spent so much time working uh, tirelessly to to get this, this information out into the world the way it needs and, to be. And we, in our field, so thank you for your work. And, and the book is excellent. It's written with such great research and interviews and stories. But I just wanted to summarize for our listeners, um, because some people may not be familiar with some of the, the, the languaging that you explain that, your your child could see just fine was 2020 so it wouldn't have been picked up on a screening yet the psychology testing found all these disparities and when somebody carefully looked at the whole visual process there were focusing problems which can affect you from seeing clearly or staying on print for a long time there was convergence and sufficiency which is problem an eye coordination which again hard to track and, you know, these are terms that teachers and parents use tracking. What is that? And, and, and there were all these basic visual skills and visual motor and processing difficulties that affected handwriting. So the, the, the real important piece is this is beyond a five or 10 minute eye exam to find these problems and to look much further than just a, a traditional exam. But the beauty of your story is you know, when you see your kid's life change, uh, I can understand why it's still emotional. And um, here she's grown up and a young woman and uh, you look back at those days and gosh, you know, I have many stories very similar to yours that, that just touch my heart. That the difference that you can make in addressing the vision world is far beyond what people really can realize. Um, we're going to take a break in just a couple minutes, but I, I wanted to t have you just share a few of the symptoms, a few more of the symptoms for parents and teachers that you might see in a kiddo that has these hidden vision problems. Um, since they're not picked up on the chart, they're not saying it's blurry. You know, what are a few other things parents and teachers could look for? Sure, that's a great question because so many of these symptoms overlap with other causal factors as well, and we could easily think it's something else. But unless you know that this could also be rooted in, in a dysfunction in the visual system, it's, it's really important to understand that. So, um, and, and these are going to sound so familiar to parents and teachers. Uh, you know, when you hear these, it's things we see every day. Uh, headaches, eye strain, fatigue, excessive blinking reading slowly, losing their place when reading or copying, uh, letter and number, letter and number reversals, um, poor handwriting, writing uphill or downhill, uh, not being able to stay on the line, tilting their head while reading or writing, 
Uh, misalignment of numbers when doing math problems. This is huge. How many times kids understand the math and they still keep getting it wrong? It's because, and this could be often because of convergence issues. Misaligning the numbers when you're when you're when you're adding or subtracting, and then you're you're going to get the math wrong, even though you know what you're doing. Um, poor fine or gross or gross motor coordination, bumping into walls, seeming clumsy, uh, you know, stumbling a lot, um, confusion, difficulty concentrating. And uh, attention and, and hyperactive issues. Yeah. So this is great because these are, you know, behaviors that people see all the time mm-hmm. and often blame it on he's not trying, he doesn't care, it's too hard. Right. And so often these kids are greatly missed because of the behaviors and the attitudes that go along with it or mislabeling as well. So we're going to take a break here in just a couple minutes. And when we uh, get back after break, we'll talk about some of the things that can be done for the kids, how you can, you know, find more of these kids and really be an advocate in your community uh, because we're missing thousands and thousands and millions of kids that really could function a lot better if they only had the vision skills to uh, perform better. So we'll take a break and be back soon. Dr. Lin will be right back after this. Discover the power of the seeing brain, the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Can your child organize, really organize? Parents and teachers will have practical, step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's Organize It Workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com.
welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Lynn, and welcome back. We have a great guest today, Wendy Rosen, who is a certified elementary and early childhood teacher. Um, but she also has had some significant experience with vision and learning problems because of her daughter, who was picked up by a psychologist. Um, you know, I did want to mention, um, we we also see a lot of referrals from psychologists. And there's two um, podcasts that you can look for, Dr. Linda Silverman and Dr. Linda Leviton, who are psychologists who work with uh, the gifted population, which is a population often overlooked because when kids are really smart and gifted, if they're motivated, they compensate and behaviorally, you know, it looks like they're learning, but they may be really underperforming for their potential. And so psychologists are in a unique position in their kinds of testing to really look at disparities in visual processing, which goes far beyond 2020. Um, you also mentioned some great uh, information and behaviors and signs and symptoms. I wanted to mention that there's checklists of visual um, things to look for, both on COVD, College of Optometrists and Vision Development, covd.org and um, all that information will be on the show notes so you can get a checklist there you can get a checklist also on my website lynnhellerstein.com as well as my book uh, and I imagine your book might have a checklist as well is that right it does it actually has the the checklist from the covd website okay which is great and so I think if you grab if you have a kiddo that you're you're wondering about and and you grab a checklist you'll be shocked most of the time because we got to remember vision is our dominant sense for learning you know when some kids struggle it's the last thing even addressed if at all because of this misnomer that 2020 is perfect vision so we're talking about all the kinds of visual symptoms and issues uh, that can really create Um, real functional problems, life problems for the kids. Because as we know, when you're not successful at something, especially in school, then that can create a whole emotional behavioral consequence. And we often can lose people and their interest and they go off and do something else and not attend to school because of their lack of success. So it's a great, a very important topic. You know, I know you also brought to life some other stats of you know, if we look at uh, juvenile delinquent populations and prisoners, you want to talk about some of the stats of vision problems in that group? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because it's so important and it's really, um, you know, it just rocks me to the core every time I think about this. These 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 hidden vision problems, these, these uh, vision-related learning problems are present in three-quarters of the juvenile delinquent population and this roughly the same percentage as prisoners and illiterate adults. So we can, based on everything you just shared, so beautifully connect the dots and understand when a child is struggling and they have, uh, the root cause of their struggle has gone undetected and everything that everyone is trying to do to help this child is not working because they're not addressing the actual problem. Very often, kids 
begin to believe that they're not smart, that there's something wrong with them, and they give up on themselves. And they go down, you know, a very sad path in life, and they could very easily wind up um, in the JD system and, you know, then the, the, the prison pipeline. Um, because, unfortunately, these are kids who have failed repeatedly in their lives because no one knew what was really causing them to struggle. And um, that is tragic. It's, it's just absolutely tragic because, again, this is information we've known about for decades, and it needs to. This needs to really be part of the the uh, the criminal justice reform uh, conversation because uh, we have there have been studies showing that the recidivism rate drops dramatically when those who are in the system are rehabilitated. Yeah, there's some great studies on that, and I think you're in such a unique. Um, situation, Wendy, being a mother, an educator, and living with the kid. I mean, you really see the behavior and the impact that untreated difficulties, whether it be vision, uh, vision or anything, you know, takes such a toll on on self esteem, on confidence, on and all those things. You know, mm -hmm. um, you had just told me we heard your story about your daughter, and that was the real stimulus for writing your book but I didn't know what had gone on with your son. Can you share that story with our audience here? Yes, I'd be happy to, because I think this is so important for everybody to realize, uh, to know about. Um, so my son, uh, once I learned about this with my daughter, I had my son checked out. I had uh, made sure that he went through a comprehensive vision examination uh, when he was around uh, age eight. And everything checked out fine, thankfully, and you know he was where he needed to be. And then in sixth grade, we started to see something that wasn't right. He was doing fine in school, but it was just a very casual comment he made one day about how he didn't think he was doing well, despite what his report card and his grades showed. And something, I don't know, just a light went on in my head, and I wondered what might be going on. And it was only because I knew about this that that light went on. Otherwise, I would have completely dismissed that comment. It was very subtle. And I, I thought about this because he, he had suffered a concussion about six months earlier. Um, he was just hurt in a, in a game in, in gym class. And um, he he recovered, thankfully, you know, well from, from the concussion. Um, that was its own interesting journey because out of everybody I consulted with based on his symptoms, it was a behavioral optometrist who was the most helpful because I didn't know how to navigate his symptoms. And it took weeks, actually, until he was able to manage a full day of school again. So it turns out that uh, so I brought him back to the behavioral optometrist, and it turns out that he had uh, almost the exact same symptoms that my, my daughter had, coincidentally. It was just a big that's what showed for him. And it was as a result of the concussion. Because when 80, when you think about it, when 80% of the, of the neuro neurological channels in the brain are wired through the visual system, a significant bump to the head is going to jumble that wiring. And very often, this can result in visual problems for a child. Um, so it's important with a concussion to... Uh, to be tuned in, to know um, that 
uh, to know what the symptoms are of, of, of vision issues and that these can present after a concussion. Um, some of those include what we spoke about earlier and then others such as difficulty concentrating, um, unsteadiness, light sensitivity, disorientation um, can, can occur. And, and really school nurses, and again, the whole, all, this, all school personnel, and really anybody who cares for, for a child, um, needs to understand that a concussion can result in a vision problem that wasn't there prior. And that children, it's very important that children, children be given accommodations and support in the classroom to allow for a full recovery. And this is what I had to do as a mom with my son to advocate for that because it was not in place. And I had to create that for him in order for him to heal. So, um, you know, just the research has shown that more than 50% of those who have had a concussion can develop vision problems afterwards. And so with um, concussions on the rise because of more organized school sporting events and so forth, um, you know, kids play more seriously today than they did, you know, decades ago. And, and given that there are more organized sports events, there are more concussions. Um, this knowledge needs to be out there as well because kids can develop these problems. They can be induced by an injury. Yeah, I am so glad you brought that up because... Um being in practice, we are seeing so many pediatric referrals for sports concussions. And many of these kids are really bright, you know, very good students. And then they get, you know, hit on the head or hit the ground or something. And the same thing happens in that, well, he seems okay. Well, he, you know, is not complaining that much. And when you really go back and, and do a full evaluation, you'll find huge discrepancies in their mm -hmm. vision skills. And we've actually yeah. seen a number of patients that we started for vision learning problems, had the great success story like, like your daughter's, and then several years down the road, they come back and they had a concussion. And mm. often some of the same things, uh, problems they had reoccur or different problems, but it's missed in concussion as well. Uh, some of the new uh, concussion screening tests that um, that athletes and coaches are using, you know, on the field are eye movement tracking tests that we've always used, you know, right. for our patients. And so they're finding the rapid number calling testing and eye movements and cicades are early predictors of some concussions. So right. that's a whole issue by itself that um, needs to be looked at as well. You know, a funny story about that. My daughter, when she was in high school, decided to play uh, girls lacrosse. And that's a sport I didn't know very much about. And they go out there and they've got, you know, their sticks and the ball and they're like two inches from each other's face. And I said, Hey, where's the safety glasses here? And the coach told me, Oh, this is girls lacrosse. It's not like boys where they're really blocking and much more uh, aggressive. These are girls. I go, I don't care. Right. Well, sure, <laughs> enough, sure enough, that game, you know, I only went to a couple of games, that particular game, somebody, you know, got hit in the eye with a ball. Ooh. It happened to be our patient, oh. and she ended up with a retinal detachment, oh, a totally wow. preventable injury. And right. after that, I asked the coach again, why aren't you requiring, you know, safety eyeglasses? And it was like, that's because we don't have to. You know, it hadn't come down the ranks as a requirement. Mm. 
Well, guess what happened the next year? It was required. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, but it would took a while. And I don't right. care if you're girls or boys or whatever your gender right. and even whatever the sport. Tennis, we see a lot of injuries from tennis and, and racquetball. When I used to play racquetball, many mm-hmm. people did not wear safety goggles for that. And, and if we go back further, you know, um, a lot of your athletes who played hockey used to not wear helmets, much less, you know, um, safety shields. And the mm-hmm. injuries were just totally preventable. And there were so many injuries until some of the safety procedures came in. So, right. um, you know, when we talk about kids, we, we need to also think about the prevention of visual problems as well. So thanks a lot for bringing up your your story here. Sure. So you also mentioned, you know, the impact of vision therapy. And um, you want to explain you know, how, if people aren't referred to a behavioral optometrist like you were with your psychologist, how might they try to find a doctor in their area who could provide the kind of treatment you got? Sure. So I would recommend going to the COVD website that you just mentioned earlier, covd.org, because you can find a, a doctor there by, by geography. And um, these are doctors who are uh, again, have that postdoc education and training and are qualified to to evaluate children's vision in the way that, uh, you know, we need to have this done for all of these reasons we've just talked about and making sure that um, nothing is missed. Yeah, which is great. You know, another thing that I tell parents, because there's a lot of really great general family optometrists out there doing exams on the kids. And I tell parents to ask two questions when they go in for an eye exam. And the first question is, do you do near point testing? And you might say, well, if your office says, we don't, I don't know what that is. (laughs) You know, that means you do, the doctor does a lot of testing within arm's length. That's where your convergence and your focusing and your tracking and all the skills are evaluated. What's often done is your child goes in you know, make sure they can see the chart, see if they're near or farsighted, then they put drops automatically in the kid's eyes. And when you have drops in the eyes, that paralyzes the focus and you can't do your near testing then. And we put drops in the eyes so we can check the back of the eye, the retina, more efficiently. But that should be done after all of this other testing is and is completed. And so often the kids get the drops almost right at the beginning of the exam. And so we've missed all the important tests. So the first question is, do you do near testing? And the second test, the second question that parents can ask their doctor is, do you do vision therapy or refer or refer to a doctor who does vision therapy? Because a lot of our great family docs you know, vision therapy isn't provided by all eye doctors, but boy, they find, just like if I find somebody with a retinal detachment or cataract, I need to find a good group of referral doctors that I can send for appropriate surgeries and treatments. This should be done as well. A good eye doc should have a good practice for vision therapy that they refer to if they don't provide it. So it helps, you know, folks try to find somebody in their area um, to at least do the evaluation to determine whether or not vision therapy is uh, 
something that would be helpful. And the other thing mm-hmm. I want to mention, a lot of times glasses, not just for seeing, but reading glasses, focusing glasses can be extremely beneficial. And now with the kids on the screens all day and night, many of these classes have you know, special types of tints and coatings to cut out the reflections. Um, because our our eyes weren't made to sit on screens for hours like is being done. That's not just for the kids, certainly our adults as well. Mm-hmm, sure. So, so we're getting yes. close to the end of our time. I wanted to see, was there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Uh, <laughs> there's so much. Uh, <laughs> how to, uh, how to, uh, you know, just to sum it up in such a way that I can uh, be helpful here in just a few minutes that we have. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, parents and and teachers know this. It's painful to watch a child who keeps falling short, that you know they're bright and they're capable and they hold so much promise, and yet they keep falling short. You know, why does that happen? And I would say that if you have a child who, for instance, uh, is either, either classified or has accommodations or is even on medication for attention or behavior issues, and they're still struggling, I would say I would recommend to have them examined by a behavioral optometrist because this could be the missing piece to the puzzle that can make all the difference. And that's a really important thing to understand, that if a child has a, a, a dysfunction in the, in the visual system that has gone unrecognized, no matter what other therapies and modalities you bring in to the equation to help that child, their, their progress will still be limited because you're still not addressing the root of the problem. It's that influential, the visual piece. And so I would say to, uh, you know, to, to explore that further. Um, very often, you know, we see the kids who are staring out the window or they're just easily distracted. They're always asking to go to the bathroom or to get, to get a drink of water. Keep in mind that these kids might be needing an escape from the stress that they're under. This, this induces a tremendous amount of, of stress on a child. And then they might be creating opportunities for themselves to relieve that stress. So instead of viewing it as an annoyance or a disruption, think of it as a clue and to, and to, to go with that um, and, and, trust, and trust the child and that the child knows what they, they need which very often our educational structure is not allowing for. Um, I also just want to mention that, um, you know, this information is life-changing. This this offers hope and help to the countless parents and teachers, school nurses, therapists, pediatricians, child study teams, everybody seeking these answers to the root cause of a child's struggle. But I want to mention there's something that everybody needs to understand, and this is just, again, this, you know, (laughs) it just rocks my world when I think about it. Developmentally, children are not biologically ready to read before the age of seven. The accommodative system that's used for focusing and the processing skills that are acquired in the developing brain that are needed for reading and comprehending text and that are needed for sustained focus are undeveloped prior to age seven. And Yet, Wendy, you know, uh, I... I... Sorry to cut you here, and that is such an important point that our eyes aren't ready to read, and the stress we're putting on them now 
uh, is part of the problem. I totally agree. And I want to make sure people have a chance to uh, learn more about you at your website, wendybethrosen.com, and get your books. Everything will be in the show notes. And I just thank you for your inspiration and your wisdom. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here with you. Great. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.